Hello and welcome. This is episode three of Jobber's Court. And once again, I'm going to be joined with a slightly promoted crew of individuals up to a uh, level of jester. They're no longer serfs, in my opinion. So, um, why don't you guys go ahead and introduce yourselves? Halkster? That's right. I'm here, and I'm Halkalicious. <laughs> and what about you, uh, Cedric, the sports entertainer, the wise old owl of wrestling? Yes, indeed, the wise old owl of wrestling. I think I got promoted. I, I think I'm going to compete with the Hulkster and his 1,004 nicknames. I only have two right now, but I'll get there. <laughs> get there eventually. Me, I'm your host, the Rasquatch, once again going to be talking about uh, some wrestling, um, some old school, some new school. So what we're going to cover today is going to be we're going to give our thoughts on the Royal Rumble event, or the, uh, what are they called, network specials um, now. But we're going to give our thoughts on the network special that just occurred yesterday. It's Monday as we're recording this. And then we're going to also talk about the influence and, and some of the performers that have had success in other promotions but were not really successful in the, uh, the WWE or vice versa. And then... Finally, we want to do our fantasy booking. We had a lot of fun last time, and today we are going to be doing Brock Lesnar versus Stone Cold Steve Austin just to get uh, our thoughts and opinions on what would happen should they have crossed paths. So, you guys ready? Let's do it. Ready, ready, ready. All right. So, first things first, again, we had the uh, Rumble match, which took place in Orlando last night. And uh, the first, I guess unofficial match was on the pre-show and you had uh mark henry and jack swagger and you had darren young damian sandow kind of two random just groups that were put together and then you also had the dudley boys um and the ascension so it was a two on two on two on two or a fatal four-way tag team match and the winner qualified for the royal rumble so Alexander, why don't you go ahead and, and start off uh, kind of talking about your thoughts about the match. Uh, well, for the match itself, I thought it was okay. Uh, I mean, for for what it was, a, a pre-show match just to get the crowd warmed up, I thought it was fairly entertaining. Uh, as far as the stipulation in the match, the winner goes on to be in the Royal Rumble. Uh, I thought it was kind of a waste of a match uh, for Jack Swagger and Mark Henry being the two to go through. I mean, granted – a Royal Rumble without Mark Henry is kind of hard to imagine, but I thought it was just kind of a waste of a match. To me, the only highlight of that match was finally seeing Damian Sandow come back and uh, relive his savior of the masses gimmick. Hmm. Or his oh. intellectual savior of the masses. Yeah, You're welcome. And, and he's obviously was working as a face um mm-hmm. was still highly entertaining in that match uh i thought i thought overall he was probably the star of, of that match overall what do you think cedric I just, my, my one thing about it was once again every time i see the ascension and what they've become from the longest reigning tag team nxt champions to right now just jobbers and and almost a, a comic type feeling kind of ticks me off a little bit but um just seeing Damien Sandow was, it was pretty good to see him, but kind of threw me off when I saw him 
teaming with Darren Young. I'm used to seeing Darren Young teaming with Titus O'Neil. So that yeah, kind of threw weird. me off. Yeah, seeing man. the Dully Bo- Oh, I was saying, I kind of don't under, I kind of don't understand that either, but we can cover that in a minute. But yeah, what about the Dudley Boys? And again, you know, I, I read somewhere that the Dudley Boys have pretty much come, you know, to, to serve us to build up the next tag teams of the future. And that, that's okay, but I, I kind of want to see them win. So the whole Jack Swagger, Mark Henry teaming up, the Damian Sandow, um, Darren Young team up, that just kind of threw me off when I saw them. Like the Hawkster said, the stipulation to me was kind of like a waste. I could have sworn over a week ago there was already rumors that Mark was going to show up anyway to the to the actual Royal Rumble. So to actually see the stipulation and see them supposedly competing for it, you almost knew who was going to win anyway. So in the action itself to me wasn't the most incredible either. So it, I was kind of on the fence. There was a few botches here and there. I think that's between the Dudleys and... You know, Mark Henry and Jack Swagger. So all in all, the fight really to me was just a failure that didn't really do its, do any justice. To me, the main problem is you have eight guys in one match and the total match time was seven minutes and 58 seconds. So, it was that long, really? Yep. That's, that's, it was seven minutes and 58 seconds. So if you give a match eight minutes and you got eight guys, that means each guy is kind of getting less than one minute each to, to show their stuff. In, in a match like that, really, what, what can you do with the amount of time that you're given and you're trying to do this four-way match, you got less than ten minutes to do it. it. I don't know. It's kind of one of those things where you look at it and you go, eh, <laughs> I mean, it was okay. I, I kind of figured Mark Henry and Jack Swagger would win it, but how much better do you think the crowd reaction would have been had the Dudleys won that and then having, I mean, after Bubba Ray's surprise entry last year and the pop that he got and then having Devon in his first ever Royal Rumble, I believe, um, that would have been, you know, pretty awesome. But instead we got to see Mark Henry be a, a threat in a Royal Rumble again. And then Jack Swagger was in and out of there so fast. Uh, I just don't know if it did the Rumble justice, and I don't know if it did any of the tag teams any real justice in that match. And it, it wasn't even tag teams uh, to a certain degree. You know, it, if it would have been Titus O'Neil with Darren Young, you at least at least you could say, well, you have the primetime players in one corner, the Ascension, and you also have the Dudley Boys, and and the odd couple of Mark Henry and Jack Swagger, but not even that, you know. The other thing is, how does Mark Henry and Jack Swagger beat a tag team that's been together as long as the Dudley Boys? It just it seems kind of silly. But what do I know? I, I don't book matches for a living. Um, well, I mean, Mark Henry is the world's strongest man. <laughs> which, even even if that's legit, I mean, you know, he's the WWE strongest man for sure. But even even so. I just don't understand how, you know, it didn't, and it didn't even seem like there was any chemistry. And maybe it's hard to do that in a, when you got everybody randomly tagging in and out. And those matches are always a big cluster and I don't, I don't generally enjoy them. And then having the, the groupings, the pairings that we had this time didn't really, didn't really help that at all. At least not in my opinion. Yeah. I think, um, I mean, kudos to Kalisto for where he is now, but, uh, Sin Cara getting hurt really kind of threw a threw a monkey wrench into the tag division as far as the athleticism. 
the high spots. Sure, and every match probably needs those, but I think it was Callisto's time anyway, and I think Sin Cara's a botch machine, so um, it's probably for the better that, you know, they ended up, he ended up kind of getting hurt. It's almost, it's almost, it was almost kind of a blessing in disguise for Callisto. But, yeah, overall, didn't really do much for me as a match. It didn't really improve my thoughts or feelings about any of the individuals involved. So, I guess, overall, it was kind of a not successful for me. I think Callisto was praying to the Saints that Sin Cara will botch. <laughs> <laughs> It's well, my time. Well, we'll talk about that when we get to his match. But, uh, all right, well, I think that covers it in the pre-show. So the opening match, man, what a what a crazy opening match you have. Uh, Dean Ambrose versus Kevin Owens in a last-man-standing match. They basically beat the living hell out of each other for 20 minutes and uh, 21 seconds. How do you all feel about that? Yeah, those two those two tore the house down right from the get-go. Uh Multiple high spots, multiple moments where you didn't know what was going to happen next, and oh man, <laughs> the uh, the first table crash was was awesome enough, but then they just kept bringing table after table after table. I'm like, I was waiting for an ECW champ. I don't think I ever heard one. Yeah, well, when when you hit someone with a fisherman buster like off the second rope, and uh, they get up, that's pretty darn crazy. Um, but yeah, I think both guys illustrated how how tough and, and, and how strong they were in the match. Uh, both of their resiliencies were obviously tested from the get-go. How do you feel about the result, yay or nay? I actually liked it. I, I agree with the result. Um, based based on our previous topic that we had about the, the prestige that a belt carries, one of the things that I think we all agreed upon was the whole swapping of, of belts among the wrestlers at a at a very uh, not timely but too quickly so i kind of like the fact that dean ambrose kept kept his belt you know it, it sets him up for other feuds down the road and it also keeps you know kevin owens in that that hungry state you know that hungry mode anybody he he runs through from this point on in this quest to a belt not necessarily intercontinental, but a belt. It kind of gives him that momentum. keeps It, it keeps it fresh. In my that's just my personal opinion. Yeah, right there with you. Uh, I like Dean Ambrose as champion. Uh, he brings something very fresh, and this is so much better than his U.S. title run when he was in the Shield. Because I mean, he never defended the belt. Now he's as a single competitor and arguably one of the bigger pops on the roster right now. He uh, he definitely is bringing prestige to that title. Uh, as far as the finish, it's a last man standing match. Typically, those are the matches that end feuds. I'm almost kind of saddened by it because Kevin Owens and Dean Ambrose have some great chemistry together. Um, but with uh, Sami Zayn returning, Kevin Owens is going to be very busy and uh, maybe possibly something with AJ Styles. Uh, after that elimination and some uh, some trash talk after he eliminated him too, um, so I'm excited to see what what happens next for both guys. Yeah, I uh, I kind of felt like obviously this closed out the feud as well. Um, there's not much more you can do. Dean Ambrose had won, you know, 
both meetings that they had for the the title. So he definitively shown that he's better than Kevin Owens at least right now, from a the you know from a storyline perspective. I am I I don't know what they're gonna do with Ambrose down the line. I don't know who's really ready to to step up and, and feud with him. Um, and then Kevin Owens, obviously that. I think he works better with guys that are smaller than him. And I think that if they continue to kind of try to work around guys that he can sort of punish and he can look more like a monster, I think that's where he works the best, working with guys like Ambrose, working with even like any any of the smaller guys he can work with, Callisto, Zane's smaller than him. So like any of those guys that are smaller and that he can really throw around, I think he has better matches. Him and Cesaro had some good matches too. But they were a little bit more even in size, and he definitely didn't look as like dominant in those type of uh, those type of matches. But in this one, man, it was definitely the the match of the night. Definitely had the highest level of intensity, um, and I didn't know who was going to win. Um, so as it went back and forth, I uh, I honestly could sit as a fan and, and not not know, and kind of was on the edge of my seat to see who was going to win that match. Yeah, right before uh, right before Dane tossed him off the turnbuckle, and he was laying on that table. Uh, <laughs> my my wife was in the kitchen. I'm like, Rena, Rena, come in here, come in here, because I was expecting him to do that moonsault off the top rope and crash onto Dean. And last second, he comes up, pushes him off, lands into the two tables. Uh, I think uh, Michael Cole said he Lex Lugered him, and uh, <laughs> oh man, it, it was completely unpredictable in my opinion for the finish, at least. Well, you knew somebody was going through two tables. You just didn't know how. Yep. <laughs> yeah, the, the one thing that I was going to say was with with Kevin Owens, the, the, something that I appreciated and I've appreciated from him since he since he joined the main roster is the way he, he gets the crowd involved, is the things that he's saying. The, if you listen to to the things that he's yelling to either the announcers or the fans or the other wrestler. I'm a big fan of that of that indie feel, and even yesterday when he screamed when he screamed that Dean Ambrose, I hate you, and Dean Ambrose just yelled, just stopped what he was doing, looked at him, and said, I hate you too, and just kept keeps getting the the chairs ready. I'm like, stuff like that is to me what makes these, with the chemistry comes from, you know, he he keeps people involved, and the person that's fighting with him, if he plays off that, uh, that energy that Kevin Owens has, it just makes for really good really good matches, really good chemistry, and those two definitely have a chemistry, and I understand what you're saying, that usually these are the kind of fights, either last man standing or or, or steel cage match, are usually the the feud killers, you know, but just the way they, as soon as they saw each other again in the Royal Rumble match, it was almost like, you remember, I, I hate you, yeah, I hate you too, so let's, yeah. let's just beat the top out of each other again, so who, who knows? It's, yeah, we're picked up right where they left off. I don't necessarily think it's it's over forever, but I think it closes the door on this current feud, and now they got to open up with some different opponents, and maybe they'll circle back around sometime in the future. But it's a, it's an, a closed chapter, in my opinion. Now, had uh, had Owens actually won one of those matches, this could have been that you know that one that's going to set up like a, a ladder match, or that's going to set up you know some type of false count anywhere or whatever you know a match like that. Which we haven't seen in a long time, by the way. But uh, just having 
you know, having closed this out and looking forward to see who the next two opponents are going to be for these guys, and we, we may find out tonight. They're going to have to start setting up the storylines pretty soon. So any uh, any other takeaways from the Intercontinental Championship match? No, not here. Hell of a match. It was a great match. Like I guess I hadn't seen one where I was really that excited in a long, long time. All right, so that brings us to the New Day. New Day? And uh, the Usos, who I'm honestly tired of seeing, and I don't want to sound negative, but they had uh, they had the the New Day versus the Usos for the tag team championship. There was a resurrection of a trombone involved. Um, Francesca too. Francesca too. Um, and then uh, obviously a, a pretty decent match. They only went 10 minutes and 53 seconds um, in the actual match, which I, I found that. Kind of surprising for some reason. I felt like it was longer than that. But uh, uh, your guys' thoughts. Go ahead and start us out, Cedric. I love myself some New Day. And now with Francesca, too, it's pretty good. Xavier Woods, quote, a man has knees. I just busted a laugh when he said that. (laughs) But um, it's amazing amazing to see how the crowd, including my four-year-old, as soon as as they come out, they, they start chanting New Day rocks. They don't even say sucks anymore. At, even though the commentators were saying, oh, they're saying New Day sucks. No, not really. Listen to the audience. They're actually saying New Day rocks. Now, Big E, I guess he wanted to be in, he wants to be in Magic Mike Part 3 because his dance moves are a little oh, bit man. not too PG friendly, but I just, I enjoy them. I enjoy their, their chemistry in the ring. I enjoy their antics outside the ring. And to me, the the better team won and it was a good decision having them win again. I actually, it was a good it was a pretty good fight in my opinion. It was a pretty good match and the Usos had some good spots, but to me it, this is the time for the new day and I ho- hopefully they'll stick around with these little fashions that are starting to join up. Hopefully they'll get some more competition, but hopefully they'll keep those titles for for a little bit, a few more months, if if not for quite a few months, because New Day rocks in my opinion. Hmm. What do you think, uh, Hulkamania? Yeah, uh, no, nobody's hotter than New Day right now. Uh, bringing out Francesca too. Uh, Xavier definitely uh, got over Francesca one pretty quickly. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it was a good match. Uh, definitely some some decent spots. Some of some of it was kind of same old, same old, and. To me, I think that comes from the Usos. I'm right there with you. They're very entertaining. They're very engaging. They know how to get the crowd going. I'm just so tired of seeing New Day versus Usos. I'm ready for someone new, and I really can't think of anyone in the tag team division right now that's ready to challenge them. So maybe uh, maybe we call up some guys from NXT uh, to challenge them. But uh, back to the match at hand. My uh, my favorite spots in the match were uh, when the crowd started yelling, we want some Francesca. Xavier Woods holds up the trombone, and then right before he plays it, he just sets it on the ground. And he's like, I do what I do what I want when I want, or I play when I want. That, yeah. I lost it. I lost it right there. But, uh, the best part of the match and probably the most spectacular high spot for me was in, during the entire event or the entire show was the very was the finish. Uh Uso on top and out of nowhere Biggie slides from under the rope and catches him midair for the big ending. I I didn't see that coming. I saw the tag when Biggie 
tagged in uh, on Kofi, but I did not see him sliding underneath the rope. He just kind of appeared, and I thought that was spectacular. Yeah, you know, that finish was pretty similar to one that happened with, it was them and Los Matadores and uh, the Lucha Dragons, I think, and they were in a, a, a tag team match like that, and they did kind of a similar thing where it was a blind tag, and then um, Big E slid in there and, and, and hit the finisher for the win. But, uh, yeah, the, the play Francesca chance had me uh, had me laugh. And I think the, the thing that I took away from the match and uh, that I noted that I found interesting was uh, you almost had almost like a heel crowd. Um, they they booed the, the Usos pretty thoroughly uh, throughout that match. But what I also saw was the Usos were using some very aggressive um, offense, particularly some of the things they were doing outside of the ring that weren't necessarily face-like. So I was kind of like, hmm, you know, I wonder, I wonder what's going on here. And in a, in a couple of the the portions there, it sort of made me wonder if you're you're not seeing, you know, if the Usos aren't hearing these boos and it's not resonating with them, and maybe they're they're thinking about going another direction with with what's going on. But uh, overall, like the match, I thought it had about enough time is what I kind of wanted to to see for the. Uh, the individuals involved, but uh, I don't think there's a better manager right now than Xavier Woods, and I I wish there were more managers because you can see how him from the outside is able to elevate that tag team when he's not wrestling. Honestly, when Xavier's wrestling, they're way less entertaining. Mm-hmm. Just an opinion, but as Mickey said to Rocky in the first Rocky movie, "What you need is a manager." <laughs> and uh, yeah. Uh, Aside from Paul Heyman, of course, because he's in a category of his own, uh, I agree. Uh, Xavier's he's solid gold on the outside. Yeah, and and I hope that the Usos, you know, I hope something they're able to work something out. And obviously, they're they're still really popular with the kids, and they got some crowd interaction. And like my oldest son is is singing along with the Usos, but my five year old loves the New Day. So anyway, it's just uh, it's funny to it's like a house divided whenever the those guys get together. The other issue I had is, was this about the 500th match that we've had between the New Day and the Usos? It's just, can we see Enzo and Cash, or uh, Enzo and Cass, please, soon? Those guys oh, are, man. those guys are sitting in NXT. Enzo's an entertaining guy. He could keep up on the mic with, uh, with the guys in the New Day, and I think that they, they would have some fantastic matches. But that's a fantasy booking for another day. So, We've got, uh, after that match, they had Callisto versus uh, Alberto Del Rio for the United States Championship. They went 11 minutes, uh, 30 seconds in a uh, pseudo botch fest, actually. Mm-hmm. What, what do you guys think? Those two are both very talented wrestlers. Oh, man. Alberto Del Rio, he is probably one of the best heels uh, that I think I've seen. He, he's so good to to hate, and uh, Callisto, for as athletic as as he is, I think some of the botches are going to come just because he's so fast and it's hard to. I think it's hard for a slower, more technical guy to to move with someone who's that go all the time. But uh, all in all, I thought it was decent. But yeah, lot, lots of lots of whoopsies. Uh, the sunset flip uh, where he stomped on his back and then just kind of fell on his head. 
but managed to get the pin. I, I think he covered that up pretty well. Yeah, um, yeah. I would say I actually cringed. I went, oh, like because I could tell like that had to have hurt. But so lead the bots. Yeah, yeah, uh, and maybe that's because he tags along with Sankara. And obviously, I, I don't know if everyone knows this, but this isn't the first version of Sankara. There was another yeah. wrestler played Sankara, mm-hmm. and he was even worse than the current guy. It was Mystico, right? Screwing things up. Yeah. Yep, Mystico. Yeah. But uh, probably one of my favorite parts of the match was the first time these two wrestled, uh, Alberto accidentally pulled off Kalisto's match mask. Mm-hmm. And uh, this time it, w- it was more purposeful that he was attempting to. So I, th- I think that was kind of good to build uh, history between the two. Um, just say, okay, you know, he was on purpose. He's trying to dishonor him. Uh, so I think that w- that part was pretty neat. Um, it, it goes well, but I really don't think these two have chemistry with each other in the ring. It, it was it was hard to watch some of their matches, and this was no different. What do you think, Cedric? I like the fact that how. Hulk standing here mentioned the whole dishonor because I think if I'm not mistaken, it was either I think it was actually yesterday, not so much in the on SmackDown, but I think actually yesterday they did mention that I think it was Michael Cole. He mentioned the um the importance of the mask for Luchador and how Alberto the Rio trying to take it off was actually this um disgraceful, especially when his own um ancestor, like his own his father and his uncle, they too wrestle Lucha Libre in Mexico under masked characters. So that's pretty good. I I can appreciate when the commentators bring history and bring and give it meaning. Not only just all oh, great move, but actually bring meaning to the match. Um when it comes to the match itself, seeing what I saw yesterday, it was it was an okay match. I think you had a uh, two two Mexican wrestlers trying to bring some Lucha Libre style to the ring. Um the difference in height Obviously makes it more difficult. I think if we had something similar to a cruiserweight division, um, it, you probably could see two similar sized, similar speed wrestlers. That pro- it probably could go a little bit better, but I think it's, it, it might be a little bit difficult when you have this, this size difference. That's just my opinion. I might be wrong. Obviously in the Lucha Libre style, it's when you watch actual Mexican Lucha Libre, you do see a few different height and, and body sizes, but for the most part, they're, they're pretty similar. But um the boxes kind of took away a little bit from it. I'm also not a big fan of the fact that Kalisto is a two-time United States champion within maybe a 10-day span. And you guys already know, based on the previous podcast, my opinion on the whole prestige of a belt. Mm-hmm. So from that perspective, okay fight for the most part. Outside of the boxes, okay fight. But hopefully this this feud does not continue because to me, there's not that much chemistry between them two. That's just a personal opinion from the wise owl. <laughs> I, I, th- I find it strange. Okay, so rare is it that you get a, an opportunity to work with a a guy who kind of has a has grown up in a style that you also grew up in. Um, so both guys work a lucha libre style, but they obviously one is working you know, more of a striking based, um, a uh, more technical wrestler foundation of Lucha, and the other one is using more of the flying around and, and speed and, and high flying. Um, 
But, yeah, they don't click at all, and they haven't in any of their matches. I haven't watched it where I went, man, that, you know, they, they really are clicking. You know, they, they're, they're really on, on the same page. And I don't know whose fault it is. It's usually somebody's at fault. But I, I've seen Del Rio have really outstanding matches, and I have not really seen Callisto have really outstanding singles matches. So, I mean, I don't want place blame on Callisto, but it could just be his inexperience with working in singles as opposed to working in a tag team. Um, the other thing, I think for me, when you're talking about the mask, I mean, Del Rio worked under a mask. Mm-hmm. So he knows, you know, and I think that him putting that over then trying to take his mask off and, and dishonor him, that added so much for me to the match because it made my kids ask, Dad, why is he trying to take his mask off? And then I go, oh, okay, and then I, I can explain it to them, and, you know, now they, they know something and they understand the meaning of, of why the individuals wear the masks and, and, and why it's important. So they learn something about wrestling history just because he did that one thing. So obviously I, I, I like that portion of the match. I thought this was the worst match in the main card, unfortunately, and... uh I, I don't know what has happened to the United States title since John Cena has lost it. Um, mm-hmm. But, I mean, what can you do about it? I, I wonder I wonder if John is sitting in his recovery room um, wondering what the hell happened to it, too. But uh, for people can look at it and people can give John Cena as much crap as they want for all the things that happens with him. But at least we were getting good, solid United States Championship matches every week. And I I don't know. We haven't seen really a good one. Even the one he lost, it wasn't that great of a match. Any uh, any other takeaways from this title match? No, I think you hit the nail on the head there with the, uh, with the Lucha background and the masks. All right. So, match before the Rumble, uh, we had Charlotte with Ric Flair. Woo! Defeating Becky Lynch for the WWE Divas Championship. Now, this didn't go as as I thought it was going to or how I would have booked it, but I mean, the the way it ended up ending was kind of cool. So, I guess I'll start this one and then I'll I'll let you guys see what you have to say. But, uh, so a couple things. Um, First of all, uh, Ric Flair stealing a kiss from, uh, from Becky Lynch. Lucky guy, but um, even better, <laughs> even better was JBL putting it over um, when they say, you know, why, you know, why would he do that and things like that, and JBL saying, well, he's the kiss stealing, like, <laughs> duh, you know, and it, it really that that part made me like laugh legitimately out loud, but um, I really liked the crowd interaction in this match for once, thank goodness. We had a Divas match where the crowd was in it. They were behind Becky Lynch, and they really wanted her to win. I thought Charlotte's offense was really good in this match, um, and I thought they had some really good things going as far as we put together. I love the figure four head scissors that Charlotte uses because it's something you don't see hardly anymore. The only thing I think she could add to it to make it even better is figuring out how to work some elbows some work elbows in there while she has them in that uh, in that figure four uh, head scissors, but thought it was good intensity in the match. The match meant something. Um, you had the right amount of interference from Ric Flair. Uh, 
I like the ending, although poor Rick can barely walk. Um, but uh, other than that, uh, I thought it was going to end in a DQ. I thought that uh, Becky Lynch was going to get the better of Charlotte and was going to get herself disqualified to keep the title. But then, uh, you know, obviously afterward we saw Sasha Banks and, and what ended up happening, and she got one of the loudest responses of the entire night. But uh, what are your guys' thoughts? Well, for me, uh, I actually had to rewatch this match as soon as I got home from the gym today. Uh, last night watching it, I, I thought it was decent. I, I didn't think it was the match that I, it could have been. Uh, but after watching it a second time, I actually appreciated it more the second time around. Um, it, obviously, it wasn't a Sasha versus Bailey 30-minute uh, Iron Man match or a Brooklyn takeover match by any means. But I would definitely rank it in the top five or top ten. Uh, over the last couple of years for Divas matches. I'm glad that they had time to have a full-length match uh, rather than just a two- or three-minute bathroom break like most Diva matches have been over the last couple of years. Uh, a lot of good back and forth. So a little slower chain wrestling than we see some from some of the guys, but I thought it was very smooth. Uh, yeah, the, <laughs> the, the, the kiss <laughs> that uh, he stole, I thought JBL sold it really well. I mean, hell, He's been stealing kisses longer than Becky Lynch has been alive, so <laughs> it, it definitely fits the character. I was really hoping Becky was going to pull it out there at the end, um, but I thought it was—I thought it was a very good match. Uh, with the end, uh, Sasha coming out and uh, making a bank statement, pun intended. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought that was awesome. Uh, going forward, I think Becky and Sasha are going to have a real good match down the road. I'm almost saddened because I don't know where Becky is going to be. I don't know. I hope that she doesn't just drop off the the face of the Divas division like uh, like Paige has recently, or even Natty for that point. Uh, I think they're all very very talented female wrestlers. Uh, so I hope she doesn't just drop off. But I like where it's going. Uh, I'm I'm happy with the finish and how they set up for the future. What do you got, wise guy? I should have should have told. I should have stole a cue from, or, or taken a cue from Doogie Hawkster, MD here. And when I got back, when I got in from work, I should have watched the, mo- the fight again. Cause I'll be honest with you, I'm not sure if it's the age, but I don't really remember much of the match. Um, that's, that's never the, a good thing. The, the, the kiss from Ric Flair to Becky Lynch. All I gotta say is at what point does he become a pedophile? Because the age difference is just too crazy. But, um, uh, to be honest with you, it was an okay match for the most part of what I remember. I was really rooting for, for Becky Lynch. Um, I'm not a big fan of, of, of Charlotte. I think the way she's been brought up to the main roster, how things have gone. No, I'm not, not a big fan. I actually became a big fan of Nikki or Nikki Bella on their last two matches. Mm-hmm. I think those were the, I, for me, those were the two strongest matches that Nikki Bella has had during that whole title reign, Absolutely. to be honest. Yeah. But, um, I think, um, there's, there's potential for Becky, but I, in my opinion, I really think it's time for Sasha Banks to, to bring her style and be Sasha Banks, not part of the whole bad trio, but her stand out as the great, um, female fighter that she, or female wrestler that she is individually. So 
didn't like the way the fight ended. I think um, Becky paid way too much to hold um, suit or coat to the face or jacket to the face. But I did like that Sasha Banks came out. Really huge pop. Hopefully people at, at the WWE creative are listening. And, and I think this this good this potential for for at least a few matches, some really good matches between Charlotte and, and Sasha Banks. And hopefully we'll have a new Divas champion. And hopefully a new Divas title coming pretty soon in the future. Yeah, I, uh, I, I hope that comes down the line too. That that would be, and I know even Charlotte on Ric Flair's podcast had talked about like if it were up to her, that would be the first thing she would change if she could, and that would be to redesign that and bring back the women's title. Um, I think for me, what I guess what I liked about it, and maybe. We talked about them. They were working a little slower as far as the chain wrestling is concerned. But the stuff they do looks so much more realistic. And you've got that almost realism to it and, and almost a pseudo uh, old school, like, you know, AWA style, NWA style of wrestling, you know, with the, the older, slower chain wrestling. But it looked good and it looked real. And I don't know. I I enjoy wrestling like that. I really like it. Um, they had the most time, except for the opening match, than than uh, the others. They got 11 minutes and 41 seconds, so they had more time than the tag championships, and they got more time than the Intercontinental title, um, which I thought was kind of telling. But uh, yeah, I thought I thought it was a I thought it was a good match, and uh, probably the second best match on the card. Personally, but uh, I've been enjoying. I actually in, enjoy what Charlotte can do. I think she's a great athlete. I think she brings a, she brings a lot to the table on what she's able to do. She's working less and less of her dad's style, and she's starting to work more of her own, which is good. Because for a while there, she was really only using the chops and the flare flops and that kind of stuff. And I really thought that that was awful because she's so athletic. She doesn't need to do stuff like that. But uh, yeah, I mean. That's really all I had uh, concerning that match, unless you guys got any follow-ups. Ready for Sasha. Yeah, me too. I, th- I think it'll be good. I just There's only two, really only two faces right now for for the ladies on the entire roster. Um, so Sasha Banks turned her face, the big reaction she got. Hopefully um, she can be that be that one that that you know brings it back because right now there's so many heels on the roster and they don't they don't have any faces. So I guess that that ties us into the uh, the big deal of last night the uh, the big match that everyone wanted to see and that is the 30 man Royal Rumble match um, stakes being raised just a little bit as it was for the. World Heavyweight Championship. Um, probably got quite a bit to cover in this match, but uh, I guess I'll just uh, let you guys start out with with your opinions of the match, and then I'll sort of tell you what uh, what I thought. Well, the the Hawks and I had a, a pretty good discussion um, earlier this morning about this whole the whole Royal Rumble and. We share a few opinions, uh, but some we disagree. For me, let me start it. I'll, I'll make it quick because, like you said, there's, there's a lot to cover, and I want to hear what you guys have to say. Uh, first of all, AJ Styles. 
great pop for for fans that were so afraid that nobody would recognize who this guy is. Which, by the way, I read a few comments today on different websites saying, who is this guy? I'm, I was so happy the way the reaction the crowd has. When you're a good wrestler, it doesn't matter if you've ever wrestled for the WWE or not. In his case, we know he did at one point, but not as AJ Styles. People will know who you are. And he's the kind of wrestler that regardless of how much you follow the indie of circuit, you're going to know who this guy is because he's, he's wrestled for some of the best indie companies and for some of the best professional um, organizations out there. Having said that, I would have probably put him a little bit later than number three. I think his showing wasn't as good as I would have liked it to be. He did his Pele kick, which was awesome. He did the flying forearm that he does springboarded from the top rope, which was awesome, but not even mentioned by the commentators. And I could have sworn I saw between the cameras panning through outside and inside the ring, his famous drop kick, which was also not mentioned. And the whole teasing the crowd with the, the, cla- the styles clash, that's pretty awesome and everything, but I think the, the fans kind of left wanting to actually see it. And the time that he was in the, in the ring was, was plentiful, but his action in the ring was not. And he did take some pretty big hits. And at the end, the way he got thrown out the ring, and hopefully it's, it's, it's a starting of a few with, with Kevin Owens, cause he, Kevin Owens did tell him something. He yelled something at him right before he threw him, welcomed him to the WWE, and then pretty much like, <laughs> goodbye, waving goodbye as he was leaving, kind of limping, in my opinion. Um, outside of that, Jericho sticking around as long as he did, didn't see much action from him. In fact, I didn't see much action from many of the wrestlers. The most action that I saw was, Finally, when Brock Lesnar showed up and obviously into, invited us all to Suplex City. But at one point, it just, it just looked weird to me the way he, at one point, Strowman, Jericho, and Reigns, and Luke, I think, um, not the, not the red bearded one, yeah, bald head, but the other yeah. one, Harper, thank you. He was Suplex sitting the, the pants off of poor Harper, clotheslining Strowman, decking Roman, but then he would look at Jericho and not do anything. And then he would repeat the same thing again, look at Jericho and not do anything. So the way the fight went chemistry-wise or just, to me, there was something missing. There was something wrong. How he got eliminated, his body language, his reaction. I also had a few questions at that. And then the obvious, and I I think I'll, I'll... I'll mention it, but I'll leave it up to you guys to discuss it, and I'll chime in. Obviously, the ending for me, I know we talked about this in episode one. What if Roman wins? What storyline can we have? Before talking to the Hulkster, I wasn't really on the same page when I saw Triple H win. I The Hulkster brought a different light to it, more of the business part of it versus the hardcore wrestling fans that all three of us are, and it made sense. But it still left a bad taste in, in the professor's mind. Oh, I shouldn't say that. I don't want to be copyrighted. <laughs> the wise meister of professional wrestling kind of left a bad taste because I really, I, I love Triple H, but I just don't, I don't know. It just, I, I, I can't see that win. But like I said, I do understand why from the business perspective. What do you think? Oh. All right. Well, let's go ahead and uh, take you back to school and. Dr. Halkenstein teaches him. Uh, uh, is, is Dr. Halkenstein like 
the opposite of Dr. Feelgood? Something like that. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. I'm a monster, baby. Go I ahead. make monsters. <laughs> now, I, uh, I appreciated the story that was told overall. But, yeah, I, I agree overall with Cedric. The, the whole match, to me, just it, it just left something to be desired. Uh, if I were to rate this over the many, many Royal Rumbles that there have been, all 29 of them, I would definitely put this in the in the in the very low tier. Uh, I wasn't too happy overall with the match. There were there were a few areas that were pretty awesome. Uh, I'll disagree with Cedric about AJ Styles coming in. I think bringing him in early probably was the best choice because the fans got to see him for almost a full half hour. Uh, WWE.com rated him at 28 minutes. Um, I think I actually had him in at 35 or 34, um, but that, that is what it is. I, that my, my clock may have included his entrance, which he, felt like forever. Yeah, the official clock is 27 minutes and 53 seconds. Okay, but uh, yeah, when his music hit, I'm like, wait, I, I don't know that music. Who, who is that? And then he came out, and oh man, the whole the whole arena just lost it, and. I saw a meme today of uh, Roman Reigns while he was while the music was playing. He's like, "What's that sound?" And then the next thing shows AJ Styles. Like, that's what a real fan cheer sounds like. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, that's awesome. Uh, but I, I thought it was I thought it was real good. I liked the, the him teasing the Styles clash. I liked the the Pele kick. He had some good offense in there at, at a few spots, but overall it was really drawn out. And he got his butt whooped mm-hmm. by just about everybody in that match. Uh, so I, I think that that does well for him as a as a debuting star to show that he can take a beating. Uh, I think that might set him up good as a smaller guy, being uh, going up against some of these much larger guys if if they decide to make him a main a main card guy or a top card guy. Uh, so I I like that. Um, I like that you did get to see him for a while. But I, I would have wished for a little bit more offense. I, I would have liked to see him eliminate a few other people. Um, for that matter, I don't even remember who the second entrant was between him and Roman Reigns. Uh, I, I even watched the whole thing twice, and I still don't remember who the second guy was. Rusev. Um, it was Rusev. Okay, yeah. So there, there you go. You know, uh, I don't even remember Rusev being in the match. That's that's how impactful <laughs> I think AJ Styles was coming out at number three. Because there was so a lot. Definitely of- left in him. Yeah, it definitely left an impression in many, many fans going forward. Um, beyond that, yeah, I think Jericho, with the story that they told on him returning, it makes sense to keep him in as long as they did, but he was kind of in the same boat. He really didn't have much going on except for a, a few teased uh, Walls of Jericho moments. Um, and then him getting thrown out there towards the towards the end of it. I think he was in... The final four, the final five, um, but yeah, it is what it is. Uh, I also disagree again with Cedric. I really like the the Wyatt versus Lesnar spots. Um, it was pretty weird when he walked over to Jericho as Jericho was laying in the corner, and then all of a sudden he turns around and goes and does a flying knee to to Strowman. Um, I thought that was pretty neat athleticism. You don't really see uh, Brock Lesnar do a flying knee that often. So I thought that was pretty cool. Um, 
one thing I noticed from the commentary is I think I thought the commentary during this whole show was probably one of the better commentary moments that we've seen in a while. Um, the fact that they even brought up New Japan IWGP or IWJP um, with uh, with AJ's history, even talking about how Brock Lesnar had the heavyweight title as well. I thought that was kind of neat. Um, so I think JBL and the crew did really well. Um, Strowman, I thought, had his best match of his career so far. Um, obviously, Big Show Kane, Mark Henry, don't have much going for them left in their career. But to see him eliminate them the way he did, uh, I thought made him look very, very strong. Um, I'm excited to see where the Wyatt family and Lesnar feud goes from here. Because if they just drop it completely, I would be very upset. Um, one of my biggest upsets, actually my top two upsets, and the reason I rate this whole match as low as I do, is we really didn't have any surprise returns. Uh, I mean, you can argue Sami Zayn as a, as a surprise return, and AJ technically, I guess, a return since he did have a couple dark matches in 2002. But uh, we didn't get to see any old wrestlers come back. And I thought that was kind of a letdown. Uh, everybody was pretty much main or just signed, so I thought that was a letdown. And uh, my biggest upset with the night was when the League of Nations came with Mr. McMahon. Uh, from a storyline perspective, it makes sense, and it was entertaining, but it completely took away from the rest of the match what was going on in the ring. All the cameras focused in. Uh, you didn't get to see Kofi Kingston's popcorn elimination. They showed a quick replay of it. After the fact, uh, but the whole crowd is going crazy and chanting popcorn, but you don't actually see what's going on, and that pissed me off a lot. What about the finish itself? Yeah, I called it three weeks ago. I was right uh, as far as the finish is concerned. Granted, I changed my mind from Daniel Bryan to Triple H, but I did call it. Um, I'm not necessarily happy that I was right. Uh, but it makes sense, and the whole thing I was talking about with Cedric earlier is that with all these injuries that they have to the to the top tier guys, John Cena out, Cesaro out, Seth Rollins out, you need you need some star power to sell the tickets. Uh, they're really wanting to sell out Jerry World and set an attendance record for the WWE. And uh, I think where they're going right now with Triple H really makes sense. Um, I don't know if you've been on WWE.com yet uh, to watch the five star uh, or the five point review for Raw, but they're teasing a a big celebrity return tonight. Uh, and if you don't think that's The Rock coming, I think you're wrong. So uh, I think that's going to set up The Rock versus Triple H for WrestleMania, and uh, it sells tickets. I mean, it may not be the best for a hardcore fan who loves watching that in ring amazingness, but nostalgia sells and. For the WWE right now, if they can't get Stone Cold back in the ring, Triple H versus The Rock is the next best thing. Yeah, man, I got I got so much stuff to say about this Rumble, especially having just watched the other 28 of them and then writing reviews about them uh, over the course of this, this last week. First of all, I gave the Rumble a 5 out of 10 uh, rating. With the average rumble was around a 6 to a 6.5 out of 10 on the scale of what I saw and what I so it was a below average rumble. A few things for me. Number one, what if they would have just flipped AJ Styles and Chris Jericho's roles in this match? Yes. 
how much better could it have been to let AJ had been in there 50 minutes, let him have had the the same entry. All they would have had to do was flip Jericho to three, flip Styles to seven, have Styles in there near the end. I think that you would have had a much better showing than what we ended up getting. Um, the other main issue I had is my biggest gripe about the 1999 Royal Rumble was that everything going on with Stone Cold and that was going on with Vince McMahon in that match took away from the Rumble match. Now, I don't care what feuds are going on. I don't care that the Rumble match is about the Rumble. Mm-hmm. It should have nothing to do with an individual wrestler. So if they wanted to have Roman Reigns outside and they did some kind of split-screen thing and they've got Roman, what's going on with him going on on a little corner of my screen, but you've got primarily the Rumble going on, that would have been fine. But instead, we missed an entire elimination in the match, and a good one at that, because we had to sit and, and, and watch what was going on with Roman Reigns. And... It's the exact same thing that happened in 99. Stone Cold was attacked in the bathroom, was taken to an ambulance, left the building, and then came back later to, to end out the match. 99 was rated, to me anyway, as the worst Royal Rumble of all time. How are you going to take an angle from one of your worst events you've ever had and then try to relive it with a guy who's not half as over as the guy you did it with to begin with, and then expect it to be successful. There would have been so much more heat on Lon had they just had Roman Reigns get attacked on his way to the ring since Rusev was already going to be number two, have Rusev in the League of Nations attacked him on his way to the ring, put his butt in the hospital, and he was gone for the rest of the match, especially if you're not booking him to win, because then you have Roman Reigns with an actual reason to be pissed and an actual agenda and a legitimate screw job that was done to him in this match. And then he can spend these next leading up to WrestleMania just beating up the League of Nations guys until he finally gets to Triple H. And I don't think that it takes I don't think that it takes a creative team. It takes a logical thought into the guy's character and what's been going on with him for the last year for for you to understand that you know, that to me, that was the best way to go and the best way you could have booked your Rumble. I I really liked the... Well, I guess before I cover the rest of it, go ahead, your guys' thoughts on that. Sorry, I, was almost, I almost interrupted you. This is... That was something that I spoke with, with Hulk Stanton. I was... He, and, he, and he brought really good points to make me understand, look, there's a business to it and this is the way they're thinking. And, and the one thing that I told him was, and I think this was my answer, and, this, and I think we 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 ended the, our conversation with this. Is it's what you just said? It's it's the logic thinking behind the character, the um, the creative side of it. I understand that, I, and I've read this in many sites that WWE is almost more towards the casual fan because they're the majority right now. They're the ones paying the tickets and buying the merchandise and whatnot. And supposedly us hardcore fans are the minority. But for for me, it's not even about hardcore casual. It's just, it doesn't, it really shouldn't take much just to see, okay, this is my character. This is the story that I have with him. And if I follow it through this way, 
I can build it for something greater down the road. That's why when, when I started reading folks saying, well, Triple H versus The Rock, I keep, I keep telling myself and I, and I, and I agree with folks that say if an old school wrestler still sells and he still can wrestle and he can still put butts on the seats, then by all means, give him his place still if he still can do it. But do not take away from your stars that you're building. And that's my whole thing. To me, this Triple H and, and, and Triple H having the championship, how long is he going to hold it? Because he's the 14th time, time champion. How is he going to defend it from, from here to then? No. You know, what kind of champion is he going to be? How's he going to be? How's he going to look? And again, the whole prestige thing of the championship and your actual reign. What does it really mean? Is reign? Is it another just, okay, I'm 14 time champ, but this reign wasn't really the best. That to me, what, what bugs me a little bit. And then we go back towards the rock to try to fill the seats when you have stars that if you don't build them properly, when your top guys drop the way they did with injuries and you say, well, we don't have nobody else. Whose fault is that? Your, the storyline that you just put right now makes so much more sense now after the rumble. I remember you kind of said something similar to it on episode one, but now that you bring it up again after the rumble, it just makes sense. And like you said, doesn't, it just takes understanding the business, understanding what you want to do, not just from the monetary aspect, but from the storytelling aspect, what you want to what you want to give the fans. And and I agree with you. Yeah, and and even the even the casual fans and the marks out there that don't understand wrestling, they're gonna look at this and they're gonna go, Man, those guys they they screwed Roman over before he even got to the ring. Like that's not fair. What a bunch of what a bunch of BS, you know? And so those guys are invested and they wanna see Roman Reigns kick someone's ass over what happened to him. And now they're invested in it. The, I don't think you're going to see The Rock versus Triple H at WrestleMania. I don't think that that's going to be the match. But you're talking about putting butts in seats and talking about new stars. Do you not think that Dean Ambrose, having won, having defended mm. his title and then having somehow pulled out the victory and winning the world title also last night, would not have put butts in seats for WrestleMania? I think it would have. Um, I think that the casual fans know who Dean Ambrose is. He's got a great character right now. I didn't personally want to see that, but it's one of those things where they, you can sell you can sell tickets, but you sell tickets based on your storylines, and your storylines have to make sense. They have to be logical, and people have to be invested in it. If you look at what they've been doing with the Divas right now, they have probably the best storyline aspect with that cha- that championship and the Intercontinental Championship more so than any other one that we're, we're having right now. The stuff going on with the Divas title, I was invested in that match. I wanted to see where it was going to go, and I had an expectation of what I wanted for that match. Um, the other thing that, that killed me in this Rumble match, and it's to me, it wasn't just Lon attacking and cutting away from the Rumble match. The other thing that killed it for me was all of the interference that happened. You had social outcasts at one point. All four of them sort of got around the ring, and then Roman beat them up. Um, you had the Lon interfering later with Roman Reigns. Then you had the Wyatts at the end of the match. 
which I thought was fine. I like the way that that happened, everything going on with Lesnar and all that. And then Miz really selling the fact that, yeah, why would he have gotten in there with Brock Lesnar and, and, and you know, <laughs> yep. all the guys in the ring? It was very smart. But again, 1999-ish, because Vince McMahon did a very similar thing. So what I what I took away from this is that they they tried to take a match that is such a beautiful match in its format and lets you display 30 guys that are on your roster, and they basically tried to make it about three or four guys, and that's the way I felt. And it didn't help me in what was going on in that match. I I came away a little bit disappointed in the Rumble match itself, and honestly, it's probably going to come out around 20th out of all of the Rumbles. Um, overall is kind of how where I would see it. It's in that lower nine rumbles for sure. But how do you think it would have been if you would have just let this, if you wouldn't have had the interference social outcasts, you would have had Roman Reigns get attacked before he even gets to the ring, doesn't get to even defend his title. You have AJ Styles replace Chris Jericho in that spot, and then you the only interference you have in the whole match is the Wyatts coming in to take out Brock Lesnar. Those three or four little changes in this match take this match from an eh match to a very good, solid rumble. It wouldn't have hurt them to have brought in Rikishi, for crying out loud, you know, and have replaced one guy on the roster, you know, in, in this match with an old-school guy that can come in and, and still work. But that being said, my favorite Rumble of all time, the 92 Rumble, didn't have, you know, none of that stuff was around then either, but it was a great, enjoyable match. It, so it doesn't always have to do with the old-school entries. It doesn't always have to do – it has to do with a logical, well-put-together match that focuses on all 30 people that are coming into the ring. And at the at the end of the day, it just didn't didn't produce that for me. Yeah, I'm I'm right there with you. Uh I will say this uh, as disappointed as I was in it thinking back and after watching it again earlier today, it was exactly as advertised, one versus all. And at the very <laughs> end, the boss, the COO if if you can't get things done, you might as well do it yourself. Or if you need something done right, do it yourself. Sure. But uh, I, I like the way you bring up the 92 uh, Royal Rumbles because back then, um, Rat Squash, I think that um, the stars that you had, you didn't really need anybody from the past coming in. I don't know if that makes sense. You Why? just had yeah, you had eleven, from, you had eleven Hall of Famers in that match. <laughs> you know, even when you even yeah, when you had those are the guys you bring back now. Even when you have guys that were supposed to be like quote unquote almost mid card, they were stars in their own right, you know. And and this, I started thinking about this when we when we had the discussion about the Hall of Famers and who should be coming in, and we mentioned Coco Beware and we mentioned Hexa Jim Duggan. I started thinking about guys that played that role, and I was like, my gosh, you know, a lot of these guys that played this mid card role or jobbers, I actually liked and rooted for. So back then. You didn't really need that surprise um, yeah. entry from an old school person, and I think the WWE and Hawkster brought it up once or twice. They have they have the list of folks between NXT and the actual main roster to build. It's just how you book them and how you and how you build them and how you sell them that's gonna is gonna make for a 
more entertaining Royal Rumble without having to depend on an old, per, on an old school wrestler coming in. And you, and like you mentioned the possible, what, what if Dean Ambrose would have won? What if Bray Wyatt would have won the way he attacked Triple H <laughs> and he would have been the one to win? I, I think there could have been a better, I think there could have been a better ending. I realize what you guys have brought up, good points, but you, you know, there could have been a better ending. That's just my opinion. I think I think logically Triple H is the right choice to have won this Rumble, believe it or not. Uh, from a business standpoint, from a storyline standpoint even, it makes the most sense if you're going to get Roman Reigns to that title at WrestleMania. The crowd reaction, though, is what concerns me. Because he was pretty much booed out of the building again, do you want to keep pushing this guy? Or do you back off for a while? You know? Um, do you turn yeah, the guy? Um, do you turn the guy heel? Like, what, what is it that you do? You know? Yeah, I'm there with you. Um, again, I think that's why I'm a I'm a proponent of the the Rock versus Triple H. That being said, I don't think it should be for the championship. I think it should just be a uh, uh, just a, a regular feud um, to get that way. And what I'm hoping to see tonight is uh, maybe a board of directors representative comes up and say they don't think the COO should be the champion conflict of interest type thing uh and as shitty as it might sound excuse my language uh as bad as it might sound uh in the short term uh I say they vacate the title and we have some kind of tournament or some kind of battle royale at Fastlane to determine the champion and that frees up a a non-title match for Triple H later I knew you were going to say that and I was like Please don't go with the tournament because then everybody's going to claim that they steal that from TNA just like yeah. they stole AJ Styles. Um, yeah, the World <laughs> Series, yeah. Now, if they if they did it like the G1, G2 type thing, that'd be pretty cool. Like if if this whole tournament went on between now and WrestleMania and then you had a tournament-style thing in WrestleMania, that'd be pretty cool. But, like, anyway... Um, I, I don't think they're going to vacate the title. I think that they did what they wanted to do, and they got Roman Reigns. What would be great for me is if Triple H himself just comes out and says, you know what, hey, we accomplished what we wanted to do. Here's my new champion, and he hands the, the title to a new champion. Now, again, we're going to talk about title prestige, and does that lower the prestige of your title? Sort of. Well, it depends but, on whether or not they give it to Sheamus. Exactly. I was going to say it depends on, on who he gives it to. What if there's, you know, a, what if there's an, another surprise in store for us? What if we've got other things going on, you know, and he decides to, to hand that title over? I will say this, at least there was no booing last night um, at the end of the Rumble. Uh, at least it was sort of just a quiet crowd. But um, yep. it, uh, it, so it was better than last year, and you just got to keep building on it. But I don't understand why it's you know why it would be so hard and they've done such a good job in the past of booking these rumbles why they've why they've been not so good the last few years we're going to be transitioning uh, from our royal rumble talk we covered that for a full hour so we're going to move on to our second topic which is going to be about individuals who were successful on one of the, we'll say in one of the TV wrestling companies, so we're talking about WWE, TNA, Ring of Honor, and then we're either successful in one of those 
organizations and then were not successful in another. So however it might be, maybe they were just sort of okay in uh, TNA. They were fantastic in Ring of Honor. However you guys want to do it, but we're just going to talk a little bit about individuals. And then we're going to talk about why we think they were more successful in, in one brand or one organization than the other. So uh, what do you guys got? We'll start with you, uh, Hawkster. All right. Well, first of all, I'm taking offense to the fact that you didn't even mention Lucha Underground in your uh, in your list of TV wrestling yeah, events. Yeah, because they've been around one year. I mean, you know, when I when I can see them. Plus, is that really a wrestling show? I mean, if there's any if there's any wrestling show that is a soap opera, it's Lucha Underground. But continue. I, I I'll, I'll sort of agree with you. It is definitely a, a, a TV novella, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, but my number one pick has got to be Johnny Mundo. I mean, arguably, he did have some success uh, during the brand split uh, when he was in ECW. Uh, some of his rivalries with The Miz were pretty awesome. His tag team with The Miz was pretty awesome. But since he jumped over to Lucha Underground, I think some of his best matches of his career have been in Lucha Underground. And uh, to put one particular match up there, it was the uh, the all-night-long match with uh, Prince Puma, or Ricochet, as he's known in other promotions. Uh, they went at it like the entire hour-long show was just those two wrestling, and it was all over the place, jumping off balconies and just some of the best chain wrestling I've seen from him as well. Uh, it just, that match had just a little bit of everything, and uh, I think that uh, this year with Lucha Underground, I think he's going to become a very, very big star, and uh, maybe hopefully we see him come back to WWE now that he's kind of refined some of his technical ability. Well, I think he was always a good technical wrestler, but why do you think he's successful in a place like uh, like Lucha Underground, where he he was still successful? I mean, I think he was an Intercontinental Champion, but why was he not as over, to say, in, in the WWE as he is now in, in Lucha Underground? Well, for me, I would say that in WWE, I don't think he ever really got that big pop. I mean, sure, he had a lot of good spots, but I think just as a wrestler, I enjoy more of his moves in Lucha Underground. And maybe that's against some of the guys he's wrestling, uh, a more similar style. Uh, it's a lot more fast-paced, a lot, a lot more hard-hitting, I guess, uh, rather than some of the slower guys he wrestled in WWE. That might be it, uh, but I, just personal opinion watching some of the matches, uh, I just feel like he's a better wrestler. Uh, over in Lucha Underground, uh, just comparing match styles. What's your thoughts, Cedric? I, I agree with the Hulkster. Um, the guy has the total package, and I think Lucha Underground, because of the style that they have, like you were saying, that that almost um, Hispanic telenovela, um, almost a kind of movie style uh, to it, on top of the wrestling, I think that that helps him. Because the guy had that movie style look, and he and he even tried to bring it to the WWE when he was Eminem with um with Melina and and Nitro. I think it was Nitro. No, he was Nitro. And Mercury was the other guy. Nitro and Mercury, excuse me. Yeah. And then when they were together, they had that little Hollywood style. And even when he came when he was by himself, the whole slow motion entrance and everything. So I think they kind of played that pretty well on Lucha Underground. And I, I agree. I, I, he's one of those guys that. For whatever reason, it didn't make it in WWE, whether it was booking, 
who they match them up with or just not giving him his place to just be you, be who you are, Johnny, Johnny, whatever his last name is going to be, depending where he's at. And I think in Lucha Underground, because of that Lucha style, he puts, he does very well with his parkour, um, background and he just, it makes for really good matches. Yeah. Also, I mean, he is an actor, like that's what he did. That's what he went to college to do. So it's, it's not a real stretch, you know, that, that you, you find that you're kind of drawn to the guy as a performer and then as a character. His character and what he's playing in LU versus what he was in, in, in WWE is virtually the same. You know, the, the knock on him was kind of twofold. One, he had that whole incident with, uh, Trish Stratus and that's sort of what got him enough heat and eventually kind of moved him out of the company, but he the also- reciprocated love. Yeah. He also had, a um he also had an issue with toughness like a lot of the a lot of the locker room from that talk around that time when he was getting released were saying that they just they didn't find his offense believable that he was basically a spot monkey that his uh everything he was doing was just it was just all spots but the guy couldn't really look legit as as a performer it's funny they say that now cuz you you know you look at other guys now and i mean that's sort of there there's a spot for people like that. But I think with, as we're going to find is the case with all these guys that we mentioned, it's a very, very big pool of water in the WWE. And when you get out of the big leagues and you go down and as much as people love Lucha Underground, let's be honest, it's, it's not on the same level of this global um, company with the gigantic roster that the WWE is. So, I think it's it's easy for some of these other guys to have not been successful and then to pull it together in, in a smaller company and to be very successful there. But um, in, in his case, I think that he's he's done nothing but elevate his status. And I know from listening to Stone Cold's podcast, like he sees himself going back eventually. I think most wrestlers do, like once they've got to that point in their career where they're, they think they're ready to come back, but... Yeah, great guy, great performer, and he's a guy who definitely is, is an up-and-comer, and I'm looking forward to uh, Lucha Underground tomorrow, actually. What about you, uh, Cedric? What was one of your picks? I have a few, but I'm going to throw just two names quickly, and and then I'm going to add a few a few things from the, the mindsets of professional wrestling's mind, the, <laughs> the white old, old owl that I am. If I can actually pronounce that, I kind of got tongue-tied, tongue-tied there. Good anyway, lord. Uh, <laughs> a, a guy that comes up to mind, and it's crazy to think that at one point he got fired because he was never going to be a a star, is Stone Cold Steve Austin. Yeah, okay. when, when, I, when I think of him, he, according to what he's always said in WCW, when he got fired via voicemail message, if I'm not mistaken, he was told he wasn't going to be a star. And he goes to ECW and starts showing this tough guy type persona, especially when you, when you listen to his, uh, his promos, amazing promos. Then he comes to the WWF, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken at the time. And the character that he had, to me, if he would have kept on being Ted DiBiase's, um, ringmaster, whatever his name was. Yeah, the million dollar champion. I don't think he would have had the success that he that he ended up having, and I think his success ended up being when, and I think this is the case with many many of the wrestlers that either fail in the WWE or go to another organization, have success, or vice versa. 
is when you allow them to be themselves. When you are, when you give them the freedom to be who they want to be, to to cut those promos, to be a, a heel if that's what they desire to be, or be the tough guy. I'm pretty sure there's, there's some control by by the organization, but when you allow them to have some freedom, when you're not feeding them, hey, this is what you're gonna say, and that's it. When you allow them the freedom to talk, when you allow them the freedom to to wrestle, when you, yes, I'm I'm pretty sure certain moves kind of water down, but you let them be who they are, and and, and the most important part is whatever part they're playing, whatever role, whatever character. They have to believe it to give the fans a hundred percent of themselves, so then the fans can buy it. Mm-hmm. I, I was reading, um, I think one of the guys from TNA, which his name right now eludes uh, me, but he's a, one of the British guys. He was saying that when he was fed the whole, well, you and your wife are gonna act like James Storm was getting in between you and this and that. You're talking, and, about, you're talking about Magnus. Magnus, thank you. Yeah. Okay. He said that he did not believe the story now. But that he was told you have to do it regardless whether you like it or not. And supposedly none of the parties involved agreed to it, but they were forced to do it. So if you don't believe in what you're doing, if you don't believe the storyline that you're giving to the, to the audience, they're not going to believe it either because you're not putting 100%. And I think that's a big, to me, that's one of the biggest reasons why some stars might fail because what they're doing is not believable. They don't, they don't agree with it. But when they go to a company that says, Hey, who do you want to be? This we have this persona. We're gonna give it to you, but we want you to put your own flavor to it. And we've seen. I think we can mention many in the WWE and outside of it that that's why they've gone um, to have good success. Yeah, you you mentioned Stone Cold, and you know he's one of those rare success stories that came from another organization where he was a mid card talent to the the big show and then performed and not not you know the big show but you know the the big show and he's able to perform at such a high level and then become one of the best entertainers of all time and he's obviously a a rare story but you know if it wasn't for the curtain call um that uh, that infamous thing that happened uh, in what was it i think that was in 97 or maybe it was 96 but uh Whenever that, that curtain call happened in Madison Square Garden with a click, and Triple H basically got demoted, Holland Nash left, and Shawn Michaels was the champion, so they didn't punish him, that opened the door for Stone Cold, because he wasn't supposed to win that King of the Ring. It was supposed to be Triple H, but because Triple H did a curtain call, they demoted him and didn't allow him to do it. So that, that opened the door for Steve, and if we didn't have that, we wouldn't have had Austin 316, and who knows, you know? It's just funny how... How things like that can happen, it can open up. But totally agree with you with what you're talking about when it comes to um, when it comes to the person being themselves. Every performer you ever hear talk about it, they just talk about being yourself and then just cranking it up, you know, to 200 percent, 300 percent, just being off the wall and just taking your own personality and just just toning it up, um, kind of like we do for this podcast. So imagine how boring we are otherwise. But um, <laughs> so. Uh, now Stone Cold's a that that's a great name. Something I guess I I neglected to to think about coming into this. So what do you think, Hoxer? Yeah, uh, I'm right there with you. Uh, I just actually finished the WWE 2K16 video game showcase 
about Stone Cold, and they actually do a really good job telling that story sure on how he got uh, pulled out of WCW, went to ECW with Paul Heyman, and he just let him cut loose and be Steve Austin. Well, yeah, he was still Steve Austin, superstar Steve Austin, back in uh, ECW. But um, a name I want to throw out there is uh, Xavier Woods, Conse- Consequences Creed, right, or Austin Creed. Um, I mean, this guy was uh, really a, I mean, he was a nothing coming into uh, TNA. Um, they didn't really even let him talk much. Uh, he was supposed to be a play off of um, Apollo Creed, and that was sort of all his character was. So he sort of did some boxing stuff and tried to be entertaining. Then they bring him in as Woods, and he's, what, he was one of our truce like, lackeys when he first started, right? I think. Black Power Ranger. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This guy will <laughs> never get over. Yeah. Um, and he was on Chris Jericho's podcast, and recently he had said, you know, it's funny because now that him and the New Day are successful, the whole trombone thing he tried to do um, previously. Uh, he had he had that idea as an angle, and he has a bunch of other ideas, and everybody said, no, you're not going to do that. No, that's dumb. I don't think it'll, you know. But he said, it's funny that how success now gives them creative freedom. So the stuff you're seeing now is just them doing all the stuff that they've ever wanted to do, and they've been told, no, you can't do it, because creative didn't, didn't want to give them the freedom to do that. And now what you're seeing is, these very creative guys that are going out there having fun and basically just living every angle that they ever wanted to and being able to use every creative thing that they've wanted to do that they thought was funny and maybe creative is like, who the hell's going to laugh when you play a trombone, you know? Because it, it, sometimes selling something to somebody else and trying to get them to understand it without actually seeing it in action is, is very hard to do. But he's a guy who is on, is on success and if, if he never wrestled another match and he stepped back and was purely a manager for the New Day, I think he would be just as successful, if not even more successful. Not saying the guy can't work. His match with John Cena that he had um, last year for the U.S. title was a great match, and he proved that he can work every bit as, as well as those guys can. But he sort of overlooked as that uh, as the, I guess, the flat tire of that trio, the one that's just sort of the sandbags them when it comes to working in the ring. But that's definitely not true. The guy can work too, but he's just so good at what he does, being annoying on the outside of the ring, doing what he needs to do, and then making sure that he keeps the keeps the heat on that tag team by trying to tease the fans in, into certain things and then not giving them what they what they want. So he's a name I, I look at as being not so successful, but then able to transition it back into you know the WWE and now is 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 very successful. Most people are going to know who he is thanks to you know unicorn power and the power of positivity. The llama uh, llama penis. Oh, can we say? I that? wasn't going to say, say it, it, but you can't say penis on the podcast. Can't say penis on the podcast. Can't say penis on the podcast. So can't just, say penis on the podcast. Just so everybody knows, we did start recording on uh, Monday night. And it is now Tuesday night, so we've all got to see Raw. So in case you're wondering when we were talking in the beginning of the show saying that we hadn't watched Raw yet, we didn't predict Llama Penis, just so you all know. If, if we, we watched The Rock say it on live television and then talk about how good the weed was in Miami. But um, needless to say, uh, do you guys have another, maybe a, a, another name you want to throw out there? 
well, I think there's, there's there's a few names that I could list that have arguably become better wrestlers since leaving WWE. Uh, one name that I'll throw out there is Drew Galloway. I think he was always very gifted. I think he's given more of a chance in TNA. But the name I really want to talk about is uh, Derek Bateman, the goofy comedian from NXT. Anybody know who he is? Not yet. It's EC3. That's EC3 on TNA. <laughs> now, if you watch TNA, you know who he is. Yep. He's, the, he's, the, he's the number one guy right now. Mm-hmm. And are arguably, I think he's probably the most entertaining guy on TNA right now because you, you give him that personality and just let it bump up. And he's probably one of the best ego drive guys I think I've seen. And uh, I really enjoy his work uh, since being given that shot over there. Um, another two guys you can maybe argue as far as singles competitors success is the Dudleys. Um, when Bubba Ray was Bully Ray over in TNA, uh, I don't think anybody ever really considered Bubba as a, as a top main card champion before he got to TNA. And, uh, I, I kind of miss that seeing him, uh, back with the Dudley boys in WWE now. Well, he has beautiful calves, and he used oh, yes. to put them. He used to put <laughs> them on. He used to put them on display when he'd wear those jorts, and he'd be out there do, doing his work as Bully Ray. I mean, those, those calves were on point. But um, better shape too. Yeah. Well, he's still. In, I mean, they're they're in just as good a shape now as they were back in like 2003. So mm-hmm. <laughs> they're they're like ageless. Um, but yeah, Bully Ray for sure. Uh, what do you what do you have, Cedric? There's a couple other names to throw out there. Had a few, and man, it's old age. Anyway, let's see if I remember a few that I had that I was thinking about. Um, a name that just flies into my mind. I'm not sure why. I was thinking about Bobby Lashley. I think that in, in ECW when he was just Lashley, he had a little bit of um, I guess kind of sort of success. We had a huge push. Brand. Had a huge push initially, but um, because the guy couldn't talk. But now, but then all of a sudden on TNA they made him champion. And he he actually looked the part, you know, with the whole um, part-time wrestler, part-time um, fighting for Bellator. You know, the man has the body to to look like this guy can be touched. You know, he's just a ma- massive dude and strong. And even though he reminds me of Iron Mike Tyson, where the voice doesn't go with the with the physical body, you know. Eh, but anyway, but, but he just looked the part and it. And another name that I thought of, and, and this is a, a big name, I guess, if you want to say it, see it that way, is what Goldberg did in WCW versus what he did in WWE. And to me, if if I could summarize a few points, and you guys can and you guys can tell me what you think, a few things that I think will give someone success versus not having success, like I mentioned earlier, is the the creative storyline. I know, you know Rath Squash, you love saying logical booking or logical storyline sure. where it makes sense, where the folks can understand and actually um, grasp onto it, where you can build from that storyline. I also think the audience knowing what kind of character is going to attract to that audience. You know, like Hulkster was saying, the type of, and you yourself said, the type of Lucha that Johnny Mundo is doing for Lucha Underground and that, and that audience might not be the same kind of audience that we have in in WWE. 
might not be the same audience that we have in Japan, and, and which is more because of the whole mystique and, and, and appreciation for any kind of combat sports. So include wrestling in, in Japan, they have a more but appreciation for that kind of strong style that they have over there. So I think the audience plays a, a big part, and, and also social media. And when when I read some of the comments from from the so-called fans. I think about someone who goes to a haunted house knowing that it's not haunted, that it's all fake. If you go into the into a haunted house thinking that way, you're not going to enjoy it. But if you say, you know what, yeah, this this might be all staged and fake, but I'm going to enjoy it like it's the real thing, that too will give that um that success for me for a wrestler. Yeah. If 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 you just read social media and read all these little things and and you don't give the person a chance, then he's not going to be successful in that environment with that audience but they'll go somewhere else like you guys mentioned ec3 Mm -hmm. and they'll just have have the success you have to sometimes just trust the the person trust what they bring to the table and then and then sell it to the audience and if you set it the right way someone will have success but if you don't that'll be the person that everybody looks back and says wow this guy cutting cutting the big leagues which a lot of folks say wwe the big leagues and understandably but this NJPW might be just the big league, the big leagues in Japan, and some of these companies, over, although they're indie, they've been around for a while and they have a huge following. And you know, that's that's to me the difference between somebody being successful at the high level that like WWE, but then going somewhere else and just killing it, or vice versa. Yeah, I think a lot of it goes into completely into the style, like you're saying. Um, we were talking about how um, Johnny Mundo was sort of saw as not legitimate, you know, not a, not a tough enough guy. Um, his stuff didn't look real enough. Which WWE of all people says that. Um, but if you look at the the standard more luchador style, their stuff is high flying and technical. It's a mix of high flying and technical wrestling. Um, but it's the oohs and ahs and the spots with luchador, with that type of wrestling that that really makes them good. And so that's obviously what he excels at. Um, that's why it's hard for me to watch Callisto um, because his stuff doesn't really look real. I mean, his finisher looks good. He hits a couple DDTs that look good sometimes, but overall, I don't look at Callisto and go, man, his offense would hurt. Bobby Lashley, on the other hand, I watch Bobby Lashley and I've, I've watched him wrestle in a cage or watch a fight in a cage, and he is slamming a guy around legit with German suplexes. So when you see him do that in the ring, um, you sort of know that it brings a legitimacy to that particular match. So now if you're the type of guy who wants to watch an actual legitimate wrestler that can shoot, then you're going to love that. Like Bobby Lashley in Japan, oh, man, I don't – I mean – he would be he would be as big as Brock Lesnar was over there during his time, because you don't have to talk in Japan. No, people could care less how well, how good you are on the mic in Japan. It's how well can you um, how well can you work a strong style? How well can you take punishment? How legit can you make it look? And that's why a guy like uh, like Albert or Adam Bloom or Matt Bloom, I mean, I guess the uh, one of the trainers down in NXT, he he was Albert. Um, and then uh, he also, Tensai. yeah, I was saying then he was Lord Tensai when he came back from Japan. But during his run in Japan, he was considered just a monster. He was one of the absolute top 
uh, heels in, in that company in New Japan, particularly in 2006, 2008-ish time frame. Um, he was just so huge over there, and that was because he he could use a power style. He could use a, a very powerful um, style of performing, and he's able to put that over, and and the fans got behind it because that's the style they're looking for. When he's in WWE, he wasn't the the greatest talker in the world. So you know you had to have a mouthpiece. That's why they had valets all the time for him and Test. You had to have a mouthpiece that sort of could could help put him over because that that wasn't his forte. Wrestling, the the power wrestling was. Um, but he's a guy who had some success WWE, but I mean was huge in Japan. And like you said, um, New Japan is. I'm still going to consider it probably the second biggest wrestling promotion in the world. Um, but they have a prestige about that company that, that is higher even than I think World Wrestling Entertainment um, is worldwide. Um, so that that's another guy I, I would throw out there as far as being really successful. And then one name I want to touch on, see what you guys thought, and then we better do our fantasy book and we'll be on here all night, um, is uh, Jay Lethal. So when he was in TNA, he was a decent wrestler, but was mostly seen for his gimmicks. He's mostly seen as almost like a comedy character and his ability mm-hmm. to do impressions and those type of things. You you see that guy in uh, in Ring of Honor, and I don't I don't see that at all. He's not funny at all. He's a very serious you know contender, and, and you believe that he can he can hurt you, and you believe that that guy can can put offense on you, and you believe that he's a champion. Wow, I, I agree. In and he carries a TV title like it is the title because he's the one carrying it. And then when he became their world champion, then now he still carried that TV title like this is the, the title because I'm carrying it. And oh, by the way, I'm also the world champion. You know, it's how, it's how they booked him and it's, how, and it's how his new persona is. This this is who he is. But yeah, it's um, it's it's hard. It's always hard to see what what really makes. Or breaks a, a performer, but at the end of the day, I think it comes down to creative. I think it comes down to how well you know your own gimmick, and then I think it I think it comes down to the fans and what the fans are looking for, and your ability to adapt. Undertaker was not always what he is now. I mean, he used to be slow, brooding. He'd sit up all the time. He'd never sell anybody's offense ever. Then he became the American badass Undertaker. And then eventually switch back to the dead man that we see now. All that time developing a different move set, adding more and more stuff to his offense, you know, um, and just furthering along his character. Um, and if you're able to adjust and adapt to what the fans are looking for, then I, I think you can be successful anywhere. Hunter Hearst Hemsley. Yeah, Hunter Hearst Hemsley, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> Fest is becoming gallows, and look at look at the difference between the character they were trying to push down people's throats to what he became in New Japan. So hopefully he comes back with that same demeanor. That's, that's they, another name. They're gonna make him Festus again. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> <laughs> that make a lot of sense. Um, but all right, let's take the last uh, bit of time here tonight, and we we talked about doing some fantasy booking. So tonight. Uh, we want to talk about. We did Bret Hart and Kurt Angle last episode, so tonight I want to do a couple of brawlers. Uh, I want to do if we had Brock Lesnar right now, which I consider in, in, in the prime of his career, versus Stone Cold Steve Austin, 
in, say, 98 or 99 before his neck injury, and we book them in a Texas death match. Um, what are your guys' thoughts? First of all, uh, Alex Standing, do you want to explain what a Texas death match is? All righty. Well, a Texas death match is the dream match for Stone Cold Steve Austin if he were ever to return. And uh don't think that's ever going to happen, unfortunately, and I'm crying a little inside just saying that out loud. But a Texas death match is basically the exact same thing as a last man standing match. Uh, however, at the very end, you must pin your opponent for the full 10 count, basically standing over him, foot on his chest, or however, just to assert that dominance for the full 10 count rather than just leaving him helpless. Okay, so... He's getting all emotional. <laughs> yeah, he sounded like it, man. That's, I mean, that's that's a that's touching. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> what? <laughs> what? 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 Um. So, Cedric, if if you're looking at this match and you're you're trying to look at these two individuals, um, and you're 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 having to sort of put the match together, and then you're having to determine a winner, who do you think wins? Wait, one question. Yes. Is this match going to happen in Texas? Well, I mean, I would say we're going to give, we'll give Stone Cold home field advantage. Why not? Okay, because. I mean, it is a Texas it, death match. If it's it, not exactly. in Texas, it just doesn't have the same ring, right? Yeah, it does. It's not the same. we got to do te- Texas in the morgue. But anyway. Um, <laughs> Live from New York, it's the Texas death match. <laughs> um, I. Would have to go with, oh man. I think Brock Lesnar right now is just, it is what it is. He's the beast incarnate. A man is just pretty much mowing down anybody that gets in his way. And I used, I, I saw Stone Cold Steve Austin in his prime and he always found a way to, to win, you know. He had a quite, quite a set of moves and once that stunner was, was on, it was on and I think deep down inside, if if I just look at it from this guy in the Brock in his prime and Stone Cold in his prime, I would give it. I think I would give the edge to to Brock Lesnar as much as I would like Stone Cold to be the winner, based on on strength, just just based on brute strength. To be honest, I will go with Brock with Brock Lesnar. It will be a very entertaining fight. There will be a lot of spots. There will be a lot of bumps. There will be a lot of action. But I think at the end, I will give it to Brock. Oh, so what, what, do you, what do you think, uh, Outbreak Kid? All right. Well, Brock Lesnar enters first, does his, uh, his whole jump in the ring, power techniques go off, and then all of a sudden, <laughs> you hear the glass break. Dun, 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 dun. And then. Does it come on the four track? We're just, <laughs> we're just waiting. <laughs> Music's playing. Nothing's happening. Dun, 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 dun. And Continue. then all of a sudden. Flying down the runway on his ATV, all decked out in Stone Cold attire, freaking Steve Austin rolls out and uh, just slams right into the ring, jumps off, climbs in, immediately flips him the bird, and they just start hammering at it, just hit for hit, just trading. And then uh, after probably about four or five hits, Brock Lesnar has just has enough, flips him around, and just starts going to town, taking him to Suplex City. And just German suplex after German suplex. 
Uh, Stone Cold is is tired early, and he's he's already gassed after taking three suplexes right off the bat. Brock grabs him, immediately throws him in the Kimura. Oh my gosh, Brock Lesnar is just about to have a squash match, a slobber knocker of a match, and just wipe out Stone Cold. But uh, Stone Cold finds his way to beat it out of it, and they just start brawling all over, spills out of the ring, and just it just goes ham all over the entire arena. <laughs> somehow, somehow they manage to get back in the ring. Stone Cold gets a little bit more offense on him, knocks the listener down to his feet. You see the double birds, and as soon as Brock Lesnar stands up, boom, stunner. However, comma, semicolon, however, yeah, there comma. There you go. Yeah. There we go. I've got to make a proper English. Uh-huh. So semicolon, however, comma, Brock Lesnar doesn't sell. He drops, but as soon as his head comes down, he's staying on his feet, shakes it off. Says Stone Cold, bring me more, you know, give it, give it to me again. So he drops him again with another stunner, stays on his feet, and uh, Stone Cold had enough, drops him one more time with the stunner. Brock Lesnar falls over, and uh, he goes for the pin. Brock Lesnar kicks out, immediately lifts him up into the F5, and uh, drops Stone Cold. Stone Cold kicks out. We see another F5. Stone Cold kicks out. And uh, eventually they spill back out of the ring, breaking down a couple of the barriers. And uh, somehow they manage to go into the audience. And Stone Cold is literally picking fans up and throwing them at Brock Lesnar as a way to try to finally get this guy down. And uh, since they're out there on the concrete, Brock Lesnar picks him up one last time, F5s him onto the concrete, and then just stands over one foot on his chest. And the conqueror has conquered Stone Cold Steve Austin. Wow! So both of you are gonna take gonna take Brock Lesnar and a, and a win in this one in a Texas Death Match with Stone Cold in his prime. All right. Yeah. So that's a that's a hell of a setup for a match. Um, I see a lawsuit perhaps from throwing the individuals in the crowd. Uh, <laughs> well, what the audience doesn't know Lester. is that the people he grabbed are actually NXT guys who have uh, in, in, in disguise. <laughs> all right, that makes sense. Let me explain this to you. First of all, Stone Cold is not going to let Brock Lesnar no sell one stunner, let alone two. But I'll let you have. Is that it. why they didn't have the first match? Well, no, they, they didn't have the first well, match well, because well. because he didn't want to wrestle Brock for a match that meant nothing really. Um, <laughs> but uh, okay, my thoughts are this: I think that if you have this this individual, it, and I look at their overness level, and really that's what's going to tell me. Stone Cold wrestled The Undertaker when he was still in his prime, who was a monster monster then. He fought the entire corporation basically by himself. He um, waded his way through Kane, who at the time was this unbeatable monster. So he's fought un- unbeatable monsters before. And I think a lot of people forget about that. So I don't look at Brock Lesnar as, as being much different. I think Brock Lesnar, though, is the most legit pro wrestler we've ever seen that would kick your ass in real life. I don't know if there's another pro wrestler in the locker room today in, in any organization that in a shoot could be Brock Lesnar. So you have to look at it from that perspective. But I don't want to lay too much out for the match because I know we, we, we spent a lot of time, but what I see happening is this thing goes 35 minutes plus, and it's just brutal. Um, 
one thing that Stone Cold can do that Brock Lesnar cannot do is he works better with a hardcore hardcore style. Um, and I think he would use every weapon, every thing that he has available, every individual in the crowd to win um, this this fight. And I, I don't think he would do it in the ring. I think he would draw Lesnar out of the ring somehow, and he would set him up, you know, somewhere else in the arena to finish this because you can't. Uh, he he knows in the ring he's not as strong. He's probably not as fast. Um, he's not as uh, he's not even as probably as technically sound as uh, as Lesnar can be. So he's at a complete disadvantage the entire time. But how does he win? All he has to do is hit that stunner. I mean. Rarely has anyone ever kicked out of that out of that stunner. Uh, and granted, we're talking a full ten count. He's going to have to hit more than one stunner, but eventually, an actual stunner. <laughs> yeah, eventually he hits. You know, he hits him over and over and over again. Um, but uh, if WCW is booking this, Stone Cold's got a cattle prod, and he uh, <laughs> he he hits Brock Lesnar with it, and Brock Lesnar stays down for the ten count. Um, but but uh, but no, I just uh, overall I I I would still say after all that um, I'll lay it out there for you with everything that I've had to say about Stone Cold. I still don't see how it's possible that he keeps Brock Lesnar down for the count of ten without putting him in some type of submission or legitimately knocking him out somehow. Um, and I don't think he's going to win with a stunner if he wins. He might have to hit Brock with a damn car <laughs> to stop him. Um, not to Stone Cold. Oh, he has that ATV it. out there. I was going to say, if, <laughs> if, 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 say, if you're using your theory, he might hit him with that ATV, but don't you think that'd be a little more dangerous for, <laughs> for Stone Cold? Because if he hits Brock with that ATV, yeah, he might break his neck for real. Just, yeah, just the Camaro gets retribution. Just have Stone Cold lay down, act possum. Probably Brock Lesnar will go for for uh a, a moonsault. No shooting star press with a break break his own neck. It's just stunner and we're done. Uh but uh no I at, at the end of the day, if if this match was really booked, I just I don't see how you go against Brock Lesnar. I really don't. Uh, and as much as Stone Cold faced in his entire career and his as much as he was pushed, I don't think there's another in individual on the planet that, if if we're not calling it a booking, if we're calling it like, hey, these guys are going to wrestle, and based on their abilities, who would win? It's it's going to be Brock Lesnar. So this is our longest episode yet. And I think in the in the future we're going to have to definitely when we do these shows we're going to have to do them on a on a single episode because man, there's so much stuff about the Rumble I still could have covered. And that we all could have could have still continued to cover. But um, I want to thank everyone for having joined us. And tell us your thoughts. Do you think Stone Cold could be Brock Lesnar? Do you think that um, do you do you think that that Lesnar would just dominate him? You know what what are your thoughts? Just remember, this is in a specific type of match, and we're also talking about Stone Cold back in in, in his prime days um, when he was you know the Texas Rattlesnake, the the badass baddest man on the planet, and uh, so give us your thoughts. Fact check us, too. We always say if you're fact checking us, it means you're listening to the show, and uh, we really appreciate it. For now, though, it's going to be the uh, the Rasquash signing off uh, with my, my two co-hosts, uh, Cedric, the I like to call him the wise owl of wrestling. 
Um, I think that's a good one for him. Lovely. And then the man of a thousand and a one thousand one hundred and seventy-two nicknames. <laughs> I just keep getting more. <laughs> he just keeps building. The hype just keeps building. And uh, we hope Believe you that. <laughs> hope you enjoyed the show. We're always looking for your feedback and uh, just let us know what you think. Thanks, and uh, we'll see you next time.